It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time for the Jeremy Paul Show with your hosts, Mark Stafford and Jeremy Paul. Jeremy Paul Show. The whole country was quaking in their boots that they wouldn't get a Jeremy Paul show before the Bledisloe under cider, but we tracked them down, JP. Oh, killed a bro. No, no. Love my Fridays before a Bledisloe Cup game. Yeah, no, it's my favourite time of the year. Mate, the station this week has had Sterling, Mortlock, John Eels, Maddie Burke, save the best till last, the Jeremy Paul show. Mate, <laughs> we, we, ha- we have got some good questions for you have been rolling in. I'm going to get straight to them. Mikey from Christchurch says, Staffy, question for JP, please. Are you concerned about Eddie's Wallabies? I think that if this exciting all-black backline click, it could be carnage. And I'm picking 55-10 scoreline. Do I have rocks in my head for picking this from Mikey? Uh, Mate, no, no. You definitely don't have rocks in your head. You have boulders in your head, bro. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) No, no, no. No, look. Why wouldn't you be as confident as what you are when you, like, and that's actually what's dangerous. Look, I've, I've been lucky enough to be going over to New Zealand for many years and during the Bledisloe Cup, obviously, when I was playing as, and as well as speaking. And um, I, I always, I'm always concerned when all black fans, Kiwi fans, are actually predicting this. Because normally, normally, oh, you've got to be careful of that Wallaby side. Like, you know, you, they, they just, they play it down. Like, they play it down every, but then... When you start actually predicting score, that, that's when we're in real trouble. That's when I know we're in trouble, bro. But uh, look, give it, but you look at the side, right? Like you look at this All Black side, and the what do they make? Seventeen changes or something? Like it's quite, it's quite amazing. Like how the depth, and we've always spoken about it. But I'm actually really excited to see how this side goes. Um, but I, I do believe last week's last game was the best side. Um, Oh, God, Will Jordan, man, if he's if he keeps his form, the All Blacks have a very, very good chance of winning this World Cup. Mm. I uh, we had Wayne Goldsmith on, who coaches coaches, and he's very good at setting up team cultures. And I asked him about Eddie Jones because he's worked with him before, and he yep. f- he feels. Eddie will now be using um, like the rugby championships gone, the Bledisloe Cup's gone to get a rock hard match fit. Um, tournament-ready team to rock the world. That's the only thing he can do now is prep for the World Cup. And it's not about, yes, you try and win games, etc., etc. but it's all, he knows he's got a good, a favourable draw, not an easy draw, a favourable draw, and his whole focus now will be World Cup. Oh, look, it was always the World Cup. Like, look, that, that's never changed. Like, these games, um, you know, the, the obviously South Africa, and I'm, actually wrote this in my little column for the Rugby News, is he's always going to use South Africa to look at the forward pack. 
when you go over and play in South Africa, it's it's the work rate of the tight five and how physical your back row and your balance of your back row is. is because particularly when you play at altitude, the ball is like it goes country mile, right? So it's the work rate of, of your forward pack. And normally how South Africa start their tests of the year is that they play a pretty tight, a lot of kicking, um, and look to dominate you on your forward. So that was always the first thing. The, the second one, I believe, against Argentina, he was always looking at his at his back five and their work rate and counter-attack because the Pumas are a fantastic side when they gain confidence and they love to play that sort of running rugby when they're confident. And and then obviously coming into the All Black and, and the Bledisloe Cup games, it was then sort of being able to pick his best team. Um, but unfortunately, the first two things didn't happen, right? And he had to then go and make these incredible changes but also looking for the future, not just not just this World Cup, um, especially now when you see Tate McDermott captain the side for this weekend's game, and obviously Carter Gordon. And, and look, poor Carter Like I, I said this man is too early for him, but in saying that, look, the, the experience is going to do him the world of good. But, you know, if you do dissect his game last week, he made missed tackles, poor kicking, um, got to take those penalty shots. But look, this young kid will learn, and and hopefully, like being the young, confident kid that he is, he's just gonna just gonna wipe that off like the other week. But just being in New Zealand against the All Blacks, wow! Mm. Like what what a way to experience. But look, it was always about the World Cup, mate, and and experimenting to see. Like you, you pick your best team in terms of incumbents, and and we're able to see, like say for instance, um, young Gordon come on and 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 put a bit of pressure on Craig Cooper, right? Um, now Tate McDermott, I thought he was I thought he was solid last week, but still no running from him. I think I think we'll see a lot more running from him this weekend, hopefully. Like, but but again, the Fords have to be able to win that game line for him to get onto the front foot. So look, there's a we also took in the very first two games, bro. Look, we didn't play for long minutes. Like we started incredibly well in both games. Started incredibly well again in in the the last Bladislow. But like I I mentioned last week was we probably haven't played longer than ten to twelve minutes. Last last game we played at least thirty to sort of thirty five minutes. So in terms of improvement and where you can take that as from Eddie Jones's point of view is look at this thirty minutes boys. Look at it. Look this is the blueprint. We now just have to do that for sixty to seventy. Like, if you can play like that, like we saw the All Blacks against South Africa, right? Play for 50, 55 minutes, um, and they won that game. But they were always in control of that game. But you, you, if you can play for 55 to 60 top-quality minutes, you, you will more than likely win the game. So it's just a matter now of doubling that time. And look, they've... They tripled the time from the previous two games. So this is, a, again, a wonderful cauldron of, of fire for these guys to play at the highest level against the highest competition in an environment which is just the <laughs> hardest to play in. And I think it's pouring down with rain over there too at the moment, isn't it? Oh, but so, they're playing under a roof. They'll be fine. Oh, yeah, bro, the roof. The roof is on fire. Um, mate, yeah, well, look, oh, again, he, he'll just be looking he, uh, for that those longer minutes. And I think 
actually probably 30 was probably too much probably about 20 actually 20 to mm. maybe 25 minutes they played so you see my theory here where we like because we used to talk about that all the time in terms of of how many minutes you you win in the footy game and then it's about it's not about like over an entire game it's how many minutes you then can string together first of all you've got to get those minutes but then you've got to then string as many of those good minutes together. And then that's where you can blow teams off. Like the All Blacks against South Africa, that first 23 minutes, I think it was, it was so one-sided dominant that they had all 23 minutes. So, um, no, no, look, and that, that's that's what you're going to do off the back of to go to the World Cup. Um, is Eddie Jones where he thought he'd be? Absolutely not. God, no. But, again, you know, the, the big thing was, look, the hype of him... Yes, we've got Eddie Jones, but you know the harsh reality was always he's still got the same players. There's only a couple of players he's chosen differently. So, um, but again, like you know, we, they've just got to fight for those minutes. That's all this weekend. Uh, Ken says, "Staff for JP, I just hope that Eddie sticks with McDermott and Gordon in the nine ten. That is Australia's future, and he thinks Aussie will do okay with so many changes in the All Black. It's going to be bloody awesome." Well, look, no, oh, no, mate, not with a team of confidence like that because now you've got these guys that, like having played in, at different times in my career, when you had the rock stars like the Johnny Oz, George Gregg and Stephen Larkins, it's actually quite surprising how well the players underneath them play because they actually get an opportunity for starters. But then more importantly, there's a World Cup squad here to be picked and there's a few of these guys that are going to be playing this weekend that won't actually make that squad. So... There's a lot at stake here, huge amounts at stake here. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Damien McKenzie gets 10 again, and Bowden Barrett's not even being looked at as 10. So, yeah, a couple of couple of decisions there that I sort of thought, oh, okay, no, nah, I like the loyalty. Uh, Anton Leonard-Brown, players like this. Uh, Brendan Ennell, like getting an opportunity at 13 as well. Like I think, you know, you, you've got to reward these players too. Mm. Um but again, a, a squad that is confident and coming off three very, very good wins. Like, we're not talking about just wins. We're talking about dominant wins. And that, that just breeds. Like, you, coming from a Saturday to a Monday's, like, training session, rocking up to training and that, that extra bounce in your step, that extra giggling at training, um, you know, that, that sharper those sessions get. Because everyone is just that confidence level, man. And that's how you build the culture. Because everyone's then sticking to the standards that you created for that culture. And that's how you build culture within a rugby side, everyone, is you get everyone to buy in. Everyone puts their intellectual property into what your standards are. You create those standards, and then everyone adheres to them. But it also allows players that are the least experienced with one test to the players that have played over 100 tests to be held accountable. And that's what the All Blacks have got now. They've got this unbelievable confidence, which is just driving their culture through the roof. So, oh, look, it could be quite a scary predicament this weekend, uh, particularly under the roof and just amazing conditions. But you'd have to think the All Blacks' cohesion in terms of, yes, the squad's confident, but they will, they, yeah, there, there will be times within this game this weekend that they won't click, uh, which is then the opportunity for the Wallabies to be able to capitalise on that and, and just hold some sustained pressure as well, bro. Mm. You'll like this one from Josh. He says, as one of the world's best free-flowing hookers ever, there you go, can you go through the strengths 
and weaknesses, if there are any, of our three hookers? Cody Taylor. Oh, look, his, his support play, like in terms of strengths, like his support play and understanding of the game in, in, in the loose is up there with Dane Coles. Right. Like, look, Dane Coles is probably a little bit slower and older now, like a young Dane Coles. <laughs> you know, quick story about Dane Coles. Um, when I retired, Sterling Mortlock actually, um, he, when he went down to the Melbourne Rebels, I think in 2008, I think it was, 2008, 2009. And he actually said to me, he goes, mate, are there any hookers that you know of where Rebels are looking for a hooker? And I said, bro, if you're looking for a hooker, I saw this one young kid come off the bench for the Hurricanes, like in the NPC. I think his name is Coles. I reckon this kid's going to be a superstar. <laughs> I saw him back when he was 18, 19. I think it's back in 2008, 2009. Um, and, and you could see, like, this kid was just... And, and I think everyone sort of based... I think some actually a mate of mine texted me a funny message not so long ago. He goes, I was at a rugby lunch and Stephen Moore was there. And um, he said, oh, you know, what was it like living up to one of the greatest hookers ever in Jeremy Paul? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, JP was great, but Dane Coles did it better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true, though, right? Like, I mean, you know, I suppose I was fortunate enough to come up to Phil Kearns, who, who really changed, and Sean Fitzpatrick, who changed the game. Um, but then you have Tucker Alcare, right, who's, who's by far powerful, like his power with regards to scrum time. Um, you always see just how solid the scrum becomes when he goes on. But also, too, his damaging runs in and around the ruck, like in his ball playing. I'd like to see him do do a little bit more, though, like not to be as loose, I think, I think if his work rate. But what, what a powerful impact that you can bring off the bench because the reserve players are... Uh, if not more important than just the starters to finish that game. So they've got a really good balance. So I suppose to sum it all up, man, it's, it's pretty hard. I don't, I don't really see many weaknesses. Maybe line-outs, they've all been... If you can put enough pressure on the line-out, you, Cody Taylor, Dane Coles, they've, they've actually all have succumbed to the yips. We've all had it. We could, could hit the side of a barn door, and that comes from pressure within the line-out. So... Really, that's one way that you can put a hooker off their game, and that's got to start early where you can steal a couple. Then you get a nod straight, and before you know it, the, the, it goes through to the rest of their game. So if I was going to try to put, uh, put pressure on, on either of the all-black hookers, I, I would definitely do it at line-out time. Uh, Martin asks, uh, are you concerned? It looks like Alan Alatoa is probably out of the World Cup and Tani Alatupo, yeah, he's gone. Tani Alatupo looked in a world of pain, probably rib, by just, just trying to analyse Dr. Staff here, trying to analyse. Uh, losing Al Alatoa, you really need Tupo. Oh, Tupo, absolutely. Look, and, and the little bits that we saw of him too, he looks fit. Um Look, the little bits, and, and oh, look, what I really loved is that, look, Matt, I played with Rube Cartledge. I'll never forget it against England. Um, we're playing. I actually had a dodgy, I actually had broken my three bones in my elbow, too, in my arm. I didn't know that I'd done that in the first 20 minutes. I knew it was sore. And then about the 50th minute, I then tore my rib cartilage in the game, in the, in the scrum. And I came up and I went to pack and I was like, oh, and I stopped. And then and Martin Johnson was lifting me up going, get him off, <laughs> get him off. 
like he's just holding shit and I was like man I was like in so much pain and I think I lasted another seven minutes after I did my hamstring so one game I did myself over three different body parts but what I loved about Tuvo was he tried to push through like we saw when he tried to pass rib cartilage man is is by far I, I did read it, it was a possible eight to twelve weeks, mate. I, I was back in two, so yeah. Look, I don't. I don't. If it's rib cartilage, then because if see if it's a broken rib, you're looking at a punctured lung immediately off, and he would never have been able to last rib cartilage. You can you can push through a little bit. Um, I got a jab at half time, and it still didn't work. But um, look, I, that that should actually heal. He should be he should be right for the World Cup. And I've always said this young kid was the cornerstone of the Wallaby pack. Like mm. when he was in great form, he was in great form. Uh, his, he's got the ball skills right over ten, um, you know, feet uh, of a winger, and and he can move. Uh, but more importantly, he got his legs scrummaging. Like he can actually anchor down the scrum. And I think. Um, but Alan Alatoa, I, I just you cannot speak more highly of this guy. Like, if if you look at that for all young kids and and how you want to be as a, I saw this wonderful interview by um, young Brumbies player first year, um, come to the Brumbies and he got to meet Alan Alatoa in the gym and he walked past and and this is the the, the remarkable thing about this great man. He's he says the young kid he goes oh have you moved in yet? He goes oh no I got a moving truck coming. He goes good I'll be there. Let me know. I'll come and help you move. Wow. <laughs> look, look, just an absolute team man, absolute man that you are. And Dupo has always been the guy of choice, right? And here's Alan Alatoa kept doing his craft, kept working hard, not only get picked, but also captain the Wallabies. And I just think for any young kid that you know wants to use someone as a mentor or idolize someone, Alan Alatoa is, is your man. So... Uh, yeah, it's a great loss for the Wallabies, mate. It's massive, not just as a player, but as a team, man. Yeah, it's mm. huge. Um, still got so many questions, and we're just about out of time. I'm going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, right. I'll be quick. I'll be quick. No, can I hold you for two minutes over the news, and we'll come back? Oh, of course you can, bro. All right. It's better than Cup weekend. Part of two of the Jeremy Paul Show will be straight after Johnny Max News. Ah, part two of the Jeremy Paul show. Straight back into it, JP. Thanks for hanging on. Um, Emmett has asked, if you were strategising for the Wallabies match tomorrow, what are a couple of things you would target? Great question. Oh, again, that, like those playing minutes, right? First is is your set piece. You, you, you've got to win. You've got to get parity. You have to get you have to get your possession. So first thing is is to build a set piece. So scrum time. Um, uh, line out, nice, clean, crisp ball. Right, that, that's your very first. Second thing is, is your discipline. No, like piggybacking off the back of like you finally get pressure on, get them down there, and you release that pressure penalty. And the third thing that I'd be working on, and I wouldn't be going far too much more than this. Um, oh, sorry, I'll chuck one more in. Fourth, third thing would be the kicking game that we've we've produced in the first three games. Um, kicking. In itself has been poor in terms of creating a contest, uh, contest or tactically for territory. Um, if if we're going to be kicking as much as what we are, as, as everyone does anyway, it, it's there has to be a contest, and that comes with our kick chase as well. And then obviously the fourth thing and the overall lining factor of every game is is your physicality, is getting into that contest, and so 
because you, you can build game off those four things. See, like how South Africa won the World Cup last time, right in 2019, like their game plan basically changed towards and, and they literally just had a strong set piece, defended incredibly well, looked for territory, applied pressure that way. Awesome discipline. That made teams and then built scoreboard pressure through King, through, through Stain. And so then that applies pressure on the team to then start doing more riskier things and then that leads into, you know, your defense and stuff. But yeah, I think um I think I think that would be the, the four things. Um oh then obviously defence, like you can mate, at the end of the day you can score points and win a game, right? So as long as you can hold them to zip. So there's you know, there's sort of those five key things that I would be looking for. And you know, as a as a as a coach, like you know, probably defence-wise would would be actually quite up there because if you, because that also is about attitude. Defence is all about attitude. It's the little things: looking to your left and right, talking, communicating who you've got. Don't take the dummy. Um, moving off the line, getting off the line as quick, taking their space. Um, so yeah, that's and that's all attitudinal. So having having the right attitude. Like you, not when you're not winning games, you've got to you've got to go always go back to your defence um, and and bring that attitude back. So yeah, they, they they would be the key areas for me, mate. Uh, Marsha, who's just a champion bloke, has just said we're getting new listeners all the time. Of course, JP saying is JP New Zealand born? Yes, he is. Left New Zealand at age 12, 14? Yep, 13, yep, 13. 13, right in the middle. Um, Staff, JP, um, how are the Wallabies? This comes up all the time, and I'm just wondering if there's still conversations in Australia about this, how the Wallabies and Australian rugby feeling about letting Dave Rennie go. Looks like Eddie's going further backwards than Rennie ever did. No, look, again, no, Eddie's still the right guy here for this situation, like, because they've made their choice. Um, Look, I've always said, look, I thought it was, um, I felt bad for Dave Rennie because I thought he'd done enough to take him through to the World Cup. Again, it was a timing issue, right? Like Eddie Jones had come off contract, like he was unexpectedly lost. I always think, um, I, I think Rugby Australia always thought he was going to go towards the end um, for the World Cup, for England, for this World Cup, and then make a play for him then. Um, but when someone comes off, it's all about timing, right? Like it's all about making sure that um, you grab the right person, even though your long-term plans. It's like the old coaches, like we've got a three-year plan. Okay, what happens if you win it the first two years? What are you doing in year three? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just you have to be flexible. And um, yeah, again, I thought look, Dave Rennie was unlucky in that sort of situation, and but the results also didn't back him as well. Like the, I think that Italy game, bro, that was the, that was the sort of like the nail in the coffin for him. Even though he had these fantastic wins, um, he also still had some diabolical losses, which was. Um, yeah, which I think was the final sort of coffin for him, uh, nail in the coffin for him. But um, no, nah, look, we've made our decision. Eddie's the right guy. Uh, from Sean Steffi, when JP says the ball goes miles at altitude, does that change the way a hooker has to throw the ball into the line out? Nice. Uh, no, 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 no. It's it's 
it's really more the kicking side of things because the altitude of the air is thinner, it travels further. I remember Andrew Walker, he was he was doing place kicks from 60 metres <laughs> from the 10-metre line in our own half, like a training, and he'd still have 10, 15 metres clearance. Like, it was quite phenomenal. But it was always tough to play at altitude because you'd work hard to get down there. And then all of a sudden, if you made a mistake, you'd be 50, 60 metres back up the field. So, uh, actually, South Africa, you, like, I remember talking to a couple of South African players about it, and they reckon uh, when playing at altitude, you, you have to play stop-start type of rugby where you don't it's not a continual running game what you do is you've got to stop and i think the teams that have been successful over there particularly previous wallaby sides have gone against that and and just kept running and i think the way south africans have always played in altitude is is once the ball sort of goes out instead of sort of running there to to restart um in terms of the line out and stuff it was always it was more of a casual sort of stroll or just sort of that's your breather um, but I think back in the system, and that's what we've seen with great all-black teams over there in the past too, right? Like there's just been that continuous rugby. Ball goes out and you can, you can catch it and, and flick it back in quickly. Go for it. I feel like Greg from the NAC is going to text this in every week. Uh, we've got 30 seconds left. JP, can we get another up the wires? <laughs> ah, yes, the wires. Oh, man, isn't it exciting? Oh, it's unbelievable for, for, for the NRL, man, to see the Warriors playing. And they are just a team of confidence. I love it. But, hey, who can pick them, man? What about those Broncos, eh? What did I say at the start of the year? Huh? See you in the final, champ. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look. Hey, look. We've, New Zealand sides have been known to faint in finals. Like, you know, like we've, we've seen that in previous World Cups. Ooh, go the Wars. Cheers, <laughs> right. buddy. See you, mate. Jeremy Paul up the waz. Loves his NRL. Loves his ashes. Loves his sport. Zade, sorry, didn't get to your question. I I don't know if he could have answered it saying, uh, what does he think about Roger playing fullback for Auckland and Zahn Sullivan playing first five for Auckland and the NPC and who's he thinking win? The Bunnings NPC. I don't know if he'd be accurate in picking a winner. I know he loves Roger playing 15, Zade, and he was a huge fan of Zahn Sullivan. Talking about guys that can 60, kick 60 metres, he is one of them. We're going to go across the ditch after this. Aussie host Gibbo, know nothing about him. We'll find out about him after this.